Good evening, everybody. Hello. Hope you're having a great day. Welcome to the Castro Files. Welcome back. Yes. What's Took a name? week off. Who are you? I'm Beth. And I'm Greg. And that's Beth Castro, <laughs> i.e. the Castro Files. So Castro Lamontane. Have you ever thought about having a show? You actually have a show named after you, technically. I mean, you named it. It's kind of cool, though. <laughs> anyway, welcome to the show. We're gonna, we've got some fun, spooky things to talk about. Tonight's a little different. Right. Today, whatever you're watching this, um, is a little bit different. So mine, we're going UFO. Okay. UFO stories up in New Hampshire. You don't think about New Hampshire having a lot of UFO sightings, no, no. but there's some. There's a pretty significant one that happened back in 1965, mm -hmm. and then one that involves my an actual family member of mine right. that I've got the newspaper article clippings from, and I'll share them, and I'll be showing them on the show tonight. So it's pretty cool. So um, what are you going over tonight? Uh, mine is messages from the other side. Emails from so, the other side. Oh, that's yeah. That, we're gonna get into that. Yeah. That's got to be creepy, right? Yeah, you start exactly. thinking like, oh no. Yes. <laughs> you're like, wait, what? Right. So first and foremost, thank you guys for joining again. As I said before, go out, like, subscribe to the Castro Files channel or on the bar is open with Beth and Greg. We've shared this both <clears> out <throat> there. <throat> we post these, the Castro Files, once a week every Sunday. Depends on when we upload it or when right. it. We want to release it, but sometime on Sunday, generally in the morning. But you can find us there. You can also go out to Minor League Studios, check out the merch. We've got a cool, scary kitty come shirt coming, so that would be pretty fun. Just in time for Halloween. Just in time for Halloween. So it'll be fun. Yeah. It's gonna be good. Yeah. So, with that, let's jump into this. What do you say? Let's do it. All right. So again, like I had said, my first story is related to UFOs and UFO sightings in New Hampshire. And one was con was called the Exeter Incident. So Exeter, New Hampshire is maybe 15 miles, not even quite 15 miles, 10 miles inland from the coast. Mm -hmm. There's 12 miles of beach mm -hmm. in New Hampshire, about 10, 15 miles inland. Um, I grew up in Hampton, New Hampshire, which is right along the seacoast, about right. a mile and a half, two miles from the beach, and grew up at the beach all the time, right? Right. I don't remember ever really hearing about this story, which okay. is interesting. How old would you have been? 65. Oh, no. I, I thought you were talking about the other story. So you've never heard of this story either, even well, when you live there. So I, it was definitely around, Okay. but I just don't know that I paid attention. Right. And my cousin Katie today, when I was trying to find the pictures again right. um, from my aunts, it, she reminded, she reminded me about it, and I was like, oh, yeah, it's a big thing up there. They do an annual festival every year, and they just brought it back this year, actually. Oh, okay. So you can go out and look up the Exeter incident. I'm going to be going off of uh, basically a Wikipedia page for this um, that goes into pretty good detail on it, and it gets into kind of a bit of conspiratorial stuff, interestingly enough. So put on your tinfoil hats because it's going to be a fun one. So, all right, the Exeter incident or the incident at Exeter was a highly publicized UFO sighting that occurred on September 3rd, 1965, approx approximately five miles south of Exeter, New Hampshire, in the neighboring town of Kensington. So this is all seacoast. This is all place we used to drive around and as kids get lost and, you know, try and, try and get lost, right? Right. It's fun. Cool place. Although several separate sightings have been made in the area by numerous witnesses in the weeks leading up to the specific incident, it was the September 3rd sighting, which eventually became by far the most famous, involving a local teenager and two police officers. Huh. 
2011 Skeptical Inquirer offered an explanation of the incident based on detailed reports by eyewitnesses. So the sightings, this is where we get into what, what they actually saw. On September 3rd, at approximately 1965, approximately 2 a.m., 18-year-old Norman Muscarello was hitchhiking to his home in Exeter along Route 150, New Hampshire Route 150. Muscarello had graduated from high school three months earlier and was three weeks away from leaving uh, for service in the United States Navy. He had been visiting his girlfriend at her parents' home in nearby Amesbury, Mass., since he did not own a car, Muscarello would hitchhike to and from Amesbury, a distance about 10 miles. However, at, the, at that hour of the morning, there was little traffic on the highway, so he had a good, part, a good walk. As, or he had walked a good part of the distance. After reaching Kensington, a few miles outside Exeter, Muscarello noticed five flashing bright red lights in the distance, which he initially thought might be the lights of a police car or fire engine. As he drew nearer to the lights, he saw that they were hovering in the air just above the trees and illuminated a nearby field and two houses in brilliant red light. One house belonged to the Dining family, who were not at home at the time, the other to, the other to a family named Russell. Muscarello estimated the object to be, about, to be 80 to 90 feet in diameter. He became terrified as the object... That's big. It's pretty 80, 90 feet. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. That's good size, right? Um, He became terrified as the object, which made absolutely no sound, began to move steadily towards him. Panicking, he dived into the ditch beside the road. The lights changed direction and hovering over the dining farmhouse, Muscarello, or dining, uh, sorry, direction and hovered over the dining farmhouse. Muscarello ran to the Russell's house, pounded on the door and yelled for help but nobody answered. The Russells later stated they heard Muscarello at the door, but were too frightened to open it. 2 a.m., somebody's beating, it, beating yeah. on your door, right? Like, that's a call the cops. Well, you're probably saying, help! I mean, I think, I well, guess you still don't know what... We didn't have ring doorbells back then, right? <laughs> you're not exactly like, what do you want, right. right? Yeah, how can I help you? Yeah, you know. And this, that part of the, like I said, that part of the area is, it's, it's heavily wooded, right. You've been, we're going to New Hampshire next week. You're familiar right. with the place. It's mm-hmm. lots of winding roads through the woods and stuff like that. So right. you wouldn't necessarily open your door to just anyone. Just a random hitch. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so the object then moved away and disappeared into the nearby woods. Seeing that, seeing the headlights of an approaching car, Muscarello ran into the road and forced it to stop. The couple in the car drove the frightened youth to Exeter police station. At the police station, Muscarello, pale and visibly shaken, told his story to, the, to Officer Reginald Toland, who worked the night desk. Toland knew Muscarello and was impressed by his obvious fear and genuinely agitated state. Toland radio, radioed police officer Eugene Beltrand, or, uh, Bertrand Jr., who, would, who earlier in the evening had passed a distressed woman sitting in her car on New Hampshire 108. When Bertrand stopped to ask if she had a problem, the woman told me that a huge object with flashing red lights had followed her from Epping, 12 miles away, and hovered over her car before flying away. Bertrand considered her a kook, in quotes, but did did stay with her for approximately 15 minutes until she had calmed down and was ready to resume her drive. After arriving at the station, police station and hearing Muscarella's story, Bertrand decided to drive back to the dining farm 
uh, with Muscarello to investigate the fear, the field where he had seen the lights. So now we're going to get into the officer's okay. perspective on it. So is the kid with him? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So he brought him back to probably explain, try and go through like the story. What happened? Like yeah. what really the incident? Are you just being, but if it's, you start having corroboration two, yeah, on two, that, uh, right? Two people saying the same, saying and seeing the same thing. Yeah. So Bertrand, so this is officers Bertrand and Hunt. And you can find this, like I said, out on Wikipedia. Bertrand drove Muscarello back to the area of his sighting. From Bertrand's patrol car, they at first saw nothing unusual. However, when they left the car and walked into the field and towards the woods where Muscarello had first seen the lights, some horses in the nearby corral began kicking the fence and sides of the barn, making loud, frightening, frightened noises. Dogs in the area began to bark and howl. Bertrand and Muscarello then saw an object slowly rise from the trees beyond the corral. Bertrand described the UFO as a, this huge dark object as big as the barn over, like over there, as he, you know, mentions, um, with red flashing lights on it. The object that moved silently towards them, swaying back and forth instinctively, Remembering his police training, Bertrand dropped to one knee, drew his revolver, and pointed it at the object. I'm like... I mean, that's what your head tries to make sense. Yeah, you're like... I mean, that's your only defense. At least you got that. Right. Otherwise, what are you going to pick up? Like a stick? A rock? It's a UFO in there. (laughs) Right? So... He then decided that shooting at it would not be wise. Probably a good idea, right? So he reholstered the revolver, grabbed Muscarello, and both ran back to his patrol car. Bertrand radioed another Exeter policeman, David Hunt, for assistance. And while the two waited in the car for Hunt to arrive, they continued to observe the object. According to UFO historian Jerome Clark, Bertrand and Muscarello observed the, the object as it hovered 100 feet away and at a 100 feet feet altitude rocked back and forth the pulsating red lights flashed in a rapid sequence first from right to left then left to right each cycle consuming no more than two seconds the local animals continued to act agitated the object was still there when hunt arrived and he also watched it the object finally rose over the trees and disappeared Hunt soon heard engines of a B-47 bomber as it flew overhead. Oh, and he later told journalist John G. Fuller that you could tell the difference between the UFO and the bomber. There was no comparison. All three men drove back to the Exeter police, uh, police station and immediately filed separate reports on what they had seen. Bertrand then drove Muscarello home and told his mother about the incident. So there's, there's an... Air Force Base that was a fully commissioned Air Force Base. It's called Pease Air Force Base. It's since been decommissioned. Now it's like just Pease International Airport or something like okay. that. And it's like got all sorts of restaurants and you can, you know, all sorts of different things on it now. Oh, that's cool. But back in the day, it was a major Air Force Base. It was okay. huge, right? Okay. Um, so that's when this the, is where kind of the Air Force starts getting into some of this. Okay. So Air Force investigation and explanation. When Exeter's police chief read the reports of Bertrand, Hunt, and Muscarello, he called nearby Pease Air Force Base and reported a UFO sighting. The Air Force sent Major David Griffin and Lieutenant Alan Brandt to interview the three men. The Air Force officers asked all three men not to report their sightings to press, but a reporter from, Man- from the Manchester Union Leader right. newspaper had already interviewed them. Okay. 
Major Griffin sent a report of the incident to the staff of the Project Blue Book, which is a whole nother conspiracy okay. kind of avenue you could go down. If you want to dig into that, it's all sorts of crazy. The Air Force official, the official Air Force research group assigned to investigate UFO reports. That's Project Blue Book. Okay. Part of some of the stuff that they've started releasing in the past couple of years, like right. the, what do they call the Tic Tac and the, I don't remember the one that kind of turns around. I can't yeah. think of the name of it right off the top of the hand. Um, so Griffin wrote at that at the time at this time I had been unable unable to arrive at a probable cause of the sighting. The three observers seemed to be stable, reliable persons, especially the two uh, patrolmen. I viewed the area of the sighting and found nothing in the area that could be the probable cause. Pease Air Force Base had five B forty seven aircraft flying that night in the area, but I do not believe that they had any connection with this sighting. Okay. They were just flying. They were just in just the air. Stance. You got to think it's 1965, right? Right. You're in Vietnam. We've got that going on. You've got all. There's all sorts of tensions happening, right? Mm -hmm. So, before Project Blue Book could send this evaluation to the Pentagon, however, the Air Force had already issued an explanation of Muscarello and the two policemen's sighting to the press. The Pentagon informed reporters that the three men had seen nothing more than stars and planets twinkling. <laughs> Owing it to temperature inversion. Yes. There's not a, I, I lived in New Hampshire for stars, years. What did they say? Stars and. And planets twinkling. Okay. And there's a difference between a twinkling and five red lights. <laughs> and a 90 foot. And five red lights. I'm just saying. <laughs> just like, it's just, no, it's a, it's a football field base or a half a football yeah. field basically. But it's just planets and, and twinkling it, stars. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I love it. Nice try. So um, Project Blue Book then issued it issued its own explanation stating that Operation Big Blast, a SAC NORAD training mission, had been active on the night of the sighting and that it could have accounted for the UFO. Project Blue Book's advisor or supervisor, U.S. United States Air Force Major Hector Quintanilla. 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 Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> wrote Policeman Bertrand and Hunt that in addition to the aircraft from this operation, Big Blast, there were also five B-47 aircraft flying in your area during that period. Since there were many aircraft in the area at the time, and there were no reports of unidentified objects from personal en uh, personnel engaged in this operation, we might then assume that the object you observed between midnight and two might be associated with this military yeah. mm -hmm. air operation. Quintanilla... Uh, I got it that time. Also, kind of. Also added that if, however, these aircraft were noted by either of you, this would tend to eliminate this air operation as possible explanation for these objects. So they're saying, it's, if you had seen those airplanes... That's what you saw. Then, and it wasn't the airplanes, then it probably was something else. It was probably that UFO. But since you didn't see the airplanes, it must have been the airplanes. See how they're playing that? Okay. They just make you feel crazy. The, yeah, that's kind of a... Because that sounds crazy when I hear you say it. So it either... If I saw the airplanes, then it was the airplanes. But if I didn't see the airplanes, then it was the UFO. Right. Uh, kind okay. of crazy, right? Yeah. So a little bit more on this. So basically, the Air Force came back mm -hmm. and said, it was an, you didn't see anything for the most part, right? Okay. And the Air Force... so. Muscarello, uh, Bertrand, and Hunt all strongly disagreed with the Air Force explanation. 
Then the two policemen sent a letter to Project Blue Book in which they stated, as you can imagine, we have been the subject of considerable ridicule, ridicule since the Pentagon released its final, in quote, evaluation of our sighting on September 3rd, 1965. In other words, both patrolman Hunt and myself saw this object at close range, checked it out with each other, confirmed and reconfirmed that it was not any type of conventional aircraft, and went to considerable trouble to confirm that the weather was clear, there was no wind, no chance of weather inversion, and that we were seeing that what we were seeing was in no way a military or civilian craft. Right. Bertrand also noted that their UFO sighting took place nearly an hour after Big Birth Operation Big Blast was said to have ended. Okay. Right. So they didn't even have an overlap time. Right. 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 So especially when when you. So then explain the B fifty two then. Like the B forty seven. The B forty sevens. If the operation was over, did they send that out because they knew something was in the air? Right. Yep. So if it's on radar, they yeah. may have, right? Yeah. And you got it. Like I said, New Hampshire isn't that big. No. Like it doesn't take. It would take ten minutes to go from Pease Air Force Base to where this is. Right. By <clears> air. <throat> Excuse me. I'm sorry. You know, and you're going a couple hundred miles an hour in a plane. Right. Right. Or however fast those things fly. Right. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's very interesting. So the aftermath, the Exeter UFO sightings, and particularly the Initial sightings involving Norman Muscar- Muscarello and police officers Eugene Bertrand and David Hunt remain among the best documented and best publicized in UFO history. Wow. Give you a different perspective now that we're going, and we drive for some long right. roads out in the yes. middle of and nowhere. It's really dark up there. Yeah, right? And you're just going to be like looking up in the sky, right? Creeped out. So I'm always looking for Bigfoot. Well, that too. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, Fuller published an account of his investigation into the case entitled Incident at Exeter. It made the New York York Times bestseller list. Muscarello, who insisted for the rest of his life that what he had witnessed was real and not an ordinary object. He died in April of 2003 at age 55. Oh, God, he died young. He had an illness. Bertrand died in 98. Hunt in 2011. In ex- in 2010, the um, the Exeter Kiwanis Club started the Exeter UFO Festival. That's fun. As a fundraiser to benefit children's charities in Exeter. Oh, that's so cool. I think it's great, right? Yeah. So now we're gonna get into my aunt stories. Okay. Real quick here, which is pretty interesting because the headline this literally was my aunt. Back in the day, right? And I'll read the article, and I also have pictures of the article, and I'll post these guys for you guys. You guys can read them. So, Hampton. It's approximately 10.15 p.m., and this is in this article right here, Tuesday, November 23rd, 1982. I think that's what it says. My eyesight works. Yeah, 1982. So, Hampton. It's approximately 10.15 on the night of Thursday, September 30th, 1982. Four local women are driving west on Exeter Road, a short distance past Hampton Machine Company. The driver of the car, Mary Ann Poland, 44, of Allison Drive in Seabrook. They get very specific on these, right? Yeah. It's a local newspaper. Right. Right. Um, notices what she takes to be an airplane coming in low over the trees. That In quotes, she says, that airplane is flying very low, she remarks casually to her fellow companions. The other three women do not at first pay too much attention to Poland's remark until, that is, Poland shouts, that's not an airplane, look at it. The four women then stare in amazement at the strange craft gliding in the sky above them at treetop level. 
The huge craft, later described as big as a house, could be clearly seen in the night sky, moving slowly away from them towards a house on the southern, uh, southerly side of the road. Its oval shape is easily discernible as the entire craft is ringed with flashing red, with flashing red and white lights. Stop the car, Mary LaMontagne, 29 of P Street, Hampton Beach, yells from her limited vantage point in the back seat. I grew up at that, mm-hmm. in that area. That was my family's house on right. P Street, right? So Poland begins to apply the brakes before she can come to a full stop. LaMontagne and Rose Messina, 25, also of P Street, hop out of the car, seemingly oblivious to the dangers of jumping from moving ve- from the moving vehicle. Oh, Pullen and Nikki Le- LeClaire, 53, of Park Avenue in Hampton, watch in disbelief as their two friends vanish into the darkness up a nearby driveway. All right, so if you know my aunts, mm-hmm. so my Aunt Mary and my Aunt Rose, they are absolutely the type that would jump out of the car and go to running yes. <laughs> to, go to the that. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it so runs in the Lamontane blood. It, it's just one of those things. It's hilarious. So Lamontane and Messina, fleeing totally without fear or apprehension, dash the length of the driveway, reach the edge of the patch of woods, and then stare in, in awe as the inexplicable object of their attention comes into stop almost directly above them. This is fire in the sky, almost, right? Like, they just didn't get taken. they just didn't get abducted. Right. Thank goodness. Both women stand completely still, enthralled with the massive craft, its flashing lights, and a larger ray of light, which beams down like a path to the sky. As later described by Lamontagne, for a brief few seconds, Lamontagne and Messina watch the object, which hovers soundlessly so close above them, the only noise being the soft rustle of leaves in the wind. Then the craft begins to move again, sil- sliding silently away from them to the protective awestruck woman. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, protective cover of the woods. In an instant, it's gone. And the two awestruck women suddenly realize that the porch light has been snapped on at a nearby house. They turn and run back to the car. Anxious to their anxious companions in the car. Later, after discussing what they had seen, they came to the only obvious conclusion: they had experienced an extremely close in, uh, close encounter with an unidentified flying object. The above story. So here is a picture of the drawing that they did for it. Let me kill this one. You got to keep in mind we didn't have iPads and everything. Right. You just draw stuff out. There hadn't been a lot of like you didn't have the internet right. to search. So the newspaper was the way to put information out there. Right. That was pretty much and then yeah. chronicling things, right? So this was their drawing um that that they came up that they sketched out. The above story reconstructed from information supplied by the four women during a recent interview does not end there. Lamontane, who was an employee at the time of New England Telephone, as are the three others, had been especially affected by the encounter and claims that she had received telepathic messages from the clerk, the craft, and or its occupants. They want me to be healthy, she told the news, newspaper, explaining she had recently quit smoking after indulging in two and a half packs a day for the past 14 years. Lamontane claims she had no desire to smoke and her three friends are all equally amazed at her uncanny ability to quit cold turkey, adding uh, credence to the possibility of outside influence. Hmm. When asked why she felt the need to be healthy, Lamontane explained, 
I felt because I felt because they stopped, they wanted me to do something. I sensed that it was okay and that they were not here to hurt us. I just know there's something, there's more, but I don't know when. Wow. All four women informed this newspaper that what they saw was definitely a UFO. I saw a huge oval object, which was very bright. The fact that it made no noise astounded me, Messina said. The other three women also described the object object in very similar terms. Neither Lamontane or Messina, however, could explain why they felt compelled to chase the object and risk their safety by jumping from the moving vehicle. So it's pretty cool, you know, when you kind of go like, all right, you, you, I think it was at last night, I think it was, we were just talking and you go, all right, if there's UFOs out there, yes. why have I never seen one? Right? It was last night. And you're like, just might not. If I see one, I want my experience to be like theirs. I do not want to be abducted. I do not want to be taken up and tested on. I just <laughs> want to see it because I got to see it to believe it. You don't want any probing happening. Any probing. Nothing no like probing. that. Because we did listen to a. Well, we watched that shock doc about the guy yeah. who wrote Communion. Yeah. Uh, which is based off a true story of a guy, a gentleman, an author. He was an actual author, like a published, well-known author that was taken from his bedroom um, and he and it wrote, sounds horrific. He wrote, well, it yeah, because they is, have the tapes that play well, the with it. The hypnosis that goes with it. The hypnosis tapes. And it sounds like he's reliving it all over again. And in the actual interview, he's like, I'm sorry, I can't listen to this. It, right. it brings back too many memories of how terrified I was. So his wife was the, actually the one who encouraged him to write the books, the book based off his. Experience, experience, yeah, experience, yeah, yeah, and it, and people started coming out and talking. Well, and it just, if you guys haven't seen it, it's on Discovery letters. Plus. Yeah, um, I can't remember the name of it right now, but it was really good. Um, so yeah, so if I ever had to, exp like, I would love to see a UFO the way that your aunts—I just said it like you said it—your aunts uh, <laughs> experienced it, where you actually get to see it, maybe feel From it, afar, maybe, maybe feel something, yeah. but I don't need to be taken abroad. <laughs> taken aboard. So this is a picture of no, a, abroad a, to another galaxy. Oh, to another galaxy. I don't need to go. I'd rather go to another galaxy than be like tested on. Yeah. Like just take well, me. Let's let's go see Saturn. I mean, I don't even know if I need to. I don't want either of those. I just want to see you and say It'd peace out. It'd be pretty out. cool to go to Deuces. like. As long as they would bring it? me back. I was going to say, would it? Because what if they don't bring you back? <laughs> I don't what know. if they're like, we ran out of gas. You're stuck with us now. Is that a thing? UFOs run out of gas? We don't know what I hope technology not. is. So this right? is my aunts and their friends that I, I named before. My aunt is standing on the far right, and my other aunt is right beside her, Rose. Um, so that's that. The articles, like I said, I'll post them out if you want to see them. Here's the first one I just read. And the second one right here. So it's this continuation. Okay. So always, I'm excited. You go back to New Hampshire. There's, It's, it's such a Do historical Do they say when the place. festival is? Um, I'll look it up. Okay, let me find out. That would be fun to go sometime. Yeah, let me find out, and I'll see if I can. I can. I. I'm glad it's still going on all tell, these years right. later. Yeah. So very cool, though. Yeah. And yeah. I'll, if I can find something, I'll, yeah. I'll let you know on that. But yeah, so that's in Exeter, New Hampshire. There's not a lot of stories that come out of. They were both New in Exeter. Well, that one was in Exeter, and right. they were on ex. So this is. Uh, let me give you. So some. where was your aunt? I'll give you an aunt. Okay. So. In New Hampshire, you have a road. It's called Hampton Road and Exeter Road. Okay. They're the same road. Oh, they just changed names. In Hampton, names. it's called Exeter Road. Okay. In Exeter, it's called Hampton Road. Oh, that's road, hilarious. Right? There are, there, were our, there are our high school rivals. Oh, okay. Right? Because they're so close to each other. And it's such a small town, they had nothing else to name the streets. Evidently. 
I mean, the town was like incorporated in like 1636 or something like that, right? You know, the whole state's flipping small. It's and it's old. It's yes. very, very old. It's very haunted. It's too. very interesting. So, yeah. what do you got today? So, <clears throat> I'm going to be reading a, a story from. It's called "The Ghost Stories: uh, True Crimes, Paranormal Stories, Demon Encounters, Poltergeist, and Unsolved Cases" by Hannah J. Titty. Tidy, T-I-D-Y, tidy, probably. Yeah. Um, Like I said, this is emails from the other side is the name of the story. Cool. And a unique and relatively recent incident, Jack, and these are all based off, like these are stories this author has gotten from people. Okay, cool. Um, A unique and relatively recent incident, Jack Fro's story told through personal accounts of those touched by it. The story can be one of horror as well as joy, depending on how you would personally cope with and view the death of someone close to you. Some may find it deeply, unsettif- unsettil- uh, uh, deeply <laughs> unsettling or horrifying, while others would find solace in the experience if they have to have lost someone dear to them. Either way, everybody will agree that the freak occurrence described by Froze's friends and family is incredibly strange. So Jack Froze was... In the other words of his loved ones, a kind, sensitive, and well-liked man living in Dunmore in the state of Pennsylvania. Unfortunately, he passed away at the young age of 32 in June of 2011. So this isn't that old. Okay. Uh, this, he passed away due to heart problems. 10 years ago. 11 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he passed away due to heart problems, arrhythmic complications in particular. His death was very sudden and shocked to those around him, leaving them with much grief. He was survived by his mom, Patty Froze, his, long, his longtime friend, Tim Hart, and his cousin, Jimmy McGraw, with whom he was close to as well. Okay. Jack's friends and family began to accept the loss and cope with it as best as they could, moving on with their lives and coming to terms with life without him. This way of dealing with death would have been an ordinary story for human loss, grief, and letting go of someone special, had it not been for the bizarre events that began to occur a few months after Jack's death. In November of 2011, Tim Hart and Jimmy McGraw were each done to receive separate emails from their deceased friend, friend's email account. The messages were rather personal and referred to some of the final conversations and situations they found themselves in with Jack not long before his untimely death. These unique details infused the email with extraordinary level of credibility and authenticity, which made it very difficult for his friends to brush them off as a big prank by someone who had hacked into Jack's email account. So quick question. What did he did he say? What he died of? I'm sorry. Yeah, heart attack. A heart attack. Heart issues. So that's not so. Okay, so it was very I, sudden. I heard it. Yeah. So it wasn't something that was like cancer, no. where it's like, oh, uh, it's ongoing. You're like, no. I can he set didn't. like a I drop dead kind of date, right? Like, and it's gonna release. Nope. Nope. You sudden, know what I mean? Sudden, sudden heart attack. Un, un, yeah, unbeknownst to him. Like, yeah. He, you know, he didn't know disease. he had heart issues. Yeah. He just yeah. basically. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um. So uh, let's see. Both Tim Hart and Jimmy McGraw also believe, as they have stated in the interview given to the BBC, that nobody could have possibly known the password for Jack email account and a case of cyber hacking was doubtful. Both Hart and McGraw discussed and showed the contents of the emails they received from the deceased in the BBC TV interview. The message that Hart received stood out in his email inbox, not only because of the deceased sender, but also due to its eerie subject title, which concisely stated i'm watching when tim uh when tim hart first saw the message he remember he remembered he turned white as a sheet with utter disbelief after the initial shock had faded <laughs> yeah. yeah right <laughs> and after he got a grip on himself and his emotions he opened the email greeted by the familiar light-hearted tone of voice in the email message characteristics of jack froze he knew and loved the message from jack read do you hear me i'm at your house 
Clean your effing attic. Oh, Jesus. Dude, that's I'm totally doing this to one of my friends. If when, I die. When you pass on? Yeah, you yeah, yeah, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. The message were especially shocking in Tim's sense. Only I'm going to send text messages. Oh, uh, well, okay. Just like ping, ping, like two o'clock <laughs> in the morning. Chuck. Yeah, just send he a just bunch hates of everything them. in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> so the message were especially shocking to Tim since it wasn't long before his friend's death. Uh, the message was especially shocking to Tim since it wasn't long before his de- friend's death. Jack commented jokingly on how Tim's attic was in desperate need of cleaning up. They had a conversation in a private setting and Hart says that nobody else knew about it and would possibly even think of saying such a thing in an email. He was unaware what to make of the message, but he still replied to the email, hoping to elicit some kind of response from beyond the grave. Unfortunately, no answer that we know of ever came back. Likewise, the email sent to Jimmy McGraw pertained to his matter as well, but this time regarding issues that occurred after Jack's death in the June of 2011. McGraw explains in the interview that he broke his ankle about a week before the received email in November of 2011 on his way to work. The message McGraw received, Jack asked how he was doing and told him he knew he was going to sustain his injury and he tried to warn him. Jack then said to him, Jim ought to be careful, made a couple of short personal remarks and ended with his name as the signature. McGraw noted that when he was recovering following his ankle injury and accident, he saw very few people, which only included a couple of friends and a few family members. Despite the initial bewilderment brought about by the eerie personal emails from their uh, dearly departed friend, the people Jack left behind soon came to terms with with what had happened. Of course, it remains unclear whether this bizarre correspondence was a very distasteful and cool prank or actual documented communication with the deceased Jack Froze from the realm beyond our own. Many people would probably be very disturbed if they received any sort of message or a perceived sign from their dead loved ones. But this wasn't the case with the folks that Jack had left behind in Dunmore, Pennsylvania. Uh, Jack Froze's mother, Patty, told the interview that the emails delighted some people while they disturbed others. She accepted them with an open heart and said Jack's loved or Jack's loved ones that the message were a gift from him and that they should take them as such. She didn't give much thought to whether or not they were just a cool prank. Instead, she was grateful for the mere fact that these mysterious email got people to keep talking about her son and kept his memory alive. Hart and McGraw were a, were of a very similar mindset uh, 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 were on a very similar mindset as his mother. Hart said he didn't care whether it was a prank or not. Hart wholeheartedly accepted the advice from Jack's mother saying he would take the mystery the way he wanted to, but accepted as a good thing in the end. McGraw had very similar feelings and described how hard he was hit by his cousin's sudden departure, explaining McGraw viewed the emails as Jack's attempt to help him feel better and move on from his death. He concluded that he liked the fact that he received the mysterious and unexplained emails in the first place. Dealing with death and loss is such a personal and subjective experience that we each must go through it our own way. This story has a profound effect on the audience since it's, uh, since it can be a very personal experience. It's possible someone they knew sent the emails who would ever think of pulling such a nasty joke on their friends. But then again, we don't know if they were also somehow sent by Jack froze from beyond the grave to tease his dear loved ones for one last time. Either way, Jack's inner circle got something heartfelt out of the whole experience and found a sort of closure in the message uh, in the mysterious message, helping them move on. How would you feel receiving such an unexplained eerie message from the realm of the unknown? So I think I would be like Jack's mom. 
I would, I a hundred percent would be the same way. I would like, be like, you know what? They're, they're wanting to make sure I'm okay. Especially trying to add some if levity. I mean, it would creep me out. I'd be like, what the hell? For the first couple of days, I would probably be totally yeah. creeped out and freaked out. And then I would hope that I would put my arms but around you go it like, okay, and be like, you know is, what? Is it, this isn't like, he's just a normal guy mm -hmm. that has, has great friends. He's, right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's not like, why would somebody target a, a dude like that that died? Right. Right. To hack his email, to send, to do something like that. I mean, you hack somebody to get the credit card information right. or something like, right? right? Right, right, right. You don't hack it to then prank about their the addict, two people. You know, or that I know that, you fell. You know what I mean? Like very specific things mm -hmm. that like, okay, I've only told five people yeah. that I broke my ankle or, or right. I, nobody select, knows my attic needs right. to be clean. That's why they were saying there were very specific messages right? that go, like, there's other just people weren't involved else. in the conversation. Yeah. So even if someone had hacked his email, they, they wouldn't have known about they, the attic conversation. Right. So that's where you go, oh, he's effing with me. Yeah. Right. He's... He, that's He's, a very kind of comforting. Yeah. Even though, like, to some people, it might be creepy, 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 uh, and they can't deal with it. Right. But to me, I think I would be creeped out for a little while, and then I'd be like, you know what? So you think about it, like, lost forever. family members. We all have. Right. Right. It would be kind of cool. Like, yeah. don't bang something in the middle of the night. Send me a text. Yes, or an email. Right? Yeah. Don't throw something across my house to be like, I'm here. No, because hey, that's surprise. creepy. Yeah. When it scares the dogs. Like, we don't need that then. Right. You send me a cool email, I might get to it. Right. Send it to my work email if you're going to do it. Yeah. Though. I read those. I don't, yeah. you know. But you know what I mean? Like, or send me, a, yeah, send me a text. That's funny. But no, I, I agree. It's kind of one it's of those things. Kinda, I mean, it's it's a cool story. I think it probably would take a minute for wrap your arms around it and be comfortable with it. Yeah. Um, but I love that they finally eventually took on the mom's mindset of, you know what, this is a gift. Good. Yeah. Take and you're lucky to have a situation. Yeah. Take I mean, it for what it is. Yeah. Where it's, we, it's got us talking about him. And you'll, and we're, yeah, it's got you and I talking right. about it. So that means his story keeps going on right. and on and on yep. and on. Yeah. So, so it's very cool. It was short and sweet, but I really liked yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So that's what we've got for you guys tonight. Thank you so much. Hope out, you enjoyed the stories. Smash that hammer, that like button, button, subscribe, go out to the Castro Files on YouTube. This also goes out to the Bar is Open podcast on audio to iTunes. Uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all the Amazon, places you can find. Yeah. Amazon, yep. Um, anywhere you can find an audio, this will go out to. And give so. us a review. We'd yeah, give us to, a review. We'd yeah. love to hear what you guys think. And let us know if there's if there's stories that you guys have. If you've seen or know somebody that's yeah, instant messages on the Instagram. Gotten an email or yeah, seen, seen an UFO. alien or UFO. If you've seen any alien, you're coming on the show. Amen. If you don't mind. Yeah, that would be <laughs> all cool. right. We love you guys. Thank you so much Thanks, again. Guys. Have a great night. Have a Take great care. night. Bye bye.